Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Mariella Meets. I'm Mariella Frostrup, and each week I'll be bringing you a selection of the best interviews from our favorite guests. Movers and shakers from the worlds of art and entertainment, politics, business, music, and wider society to discuss everything from their latest endeavors to career highlights and early beginnings. Intimate, in-depth talk with pioneering talents and fascinating folk discussing the stuff that matters to them and how they scaled the slippery slopes of success. Marianne Keyes is one of the world's best-loved authors. She sold over 35 million books worldwide with readers connecting to her vivid characters and unique ability to tackle some of the most difficult human experiences with a lightness of touch and a sense of fun. Not afraid to wear her heart on her sleeve, Marianne has openly shared her own struggles with addiction and depression, channeling her experiences into her novels like The Mystery of Mercy Close, Anybody Out There, and, of course, Rachel's Holiday. Now, after 25 years, Rachel is back in a new novel, Rachel Again, exploring what life in recovery looks like and what happens when voices from your past join you in the present. Uh, welcome, Marion Keys. Now, I would not have had you down as a sequels person. I know that you've actually had a real reticence about bringing, um, you know, characters back and stories back, um, but you've obviously broken your own code here. Uh, what's going on? Yeah, I was always uncomfortable about the idea of a sequel. Uh, for I, I just had a kind of a personal reluctance because I felt it was sort of shortchanging the reader. And I, I mean, other authors are entirely different. Everybody, you know, walks their own path. But for me, I just felt I would rather try something new with each novel. But um, Rachel is part of a family called the Walshes. There are five women in it. I'd written all of their stories and I missed them. Um, and uh, an idea came to me for a plot that, that I thought would work for Rachel and I thought I'd give it a go and I was quite prepared to you know to put you know a couple of months work into it and if I felt that it wasn't in the spirit of the original book or if I felt I didn't couldn't do a decent job I would walk away from it and but I started writing it just at the start of the first lockdown two years ago and it, it just it worked you know I felt comfortable enough to keep writing it anyway 
You say um, that you started writing it at the beginning of the first lockdown, and it's interesting because in, in, in many ways, Rachel's story uh, of all the Walsh sisters is the most uh, traceable to you th through your own. It's the most autobiographical in a way, you know, and uh, that might be making an obvious assumption, but you can elaborate on that more for me. So I wondered if... Um, during the lockdown was a sort of more contemplative period for you and it lent itself to examining things in your own life story that you perhaps hadn't looked at in any forensic detail in recent years. I mean, the one thing that Rachel and I have in common is that she's an addict in recovery and I'm an alcoholic in recovery. And, you know, addiction is far more widespread than we acknowledge you know I think we try desperately hard to other it you know and to kind of regard it as a moral failing or a choice rather than a condition that people don't elect to have um but because we are both addicts we we kind of are part of that club and so definitely the importance of her staying clean and the importance of me staying sober um you know there, there's a definite connection and as lockdown began you know some of my supports to my sobriety seemed to be take you know taken away because I mean I couldn't see I mean none of us could see people in the same way um I don't know about it being a, con a contemplative time um I actually found my imagination completely stopped working especially at the beginning of lockdown and a lot of people said that that their dreams had become a lot more vivid. And that was because when people are very, very frightened, our kind of our rational self steps to the fore. And, you know, our dreaming head or our imaginative head um, has to be parked for a while. And I, like an awful lot of people, found it very difficult to write. And, um, and people were saying that they found it very difficult to read fiction at the time. Um, I think looking back, the past two years have affected us in ways uh, far deeper than we're sort of willing to acknowledge, I think. I think we don't like the fact that we're not in control. Um, I don't know, that wasn't kind of what you asked me, but yes, Rachel and I have a lot in common. The fact that we're both addicts is important. I think it's really interesting what you said about about lockdown, though, because I, th I think that's very true. I think that um, I notice it all the time that people are behaving differently um, in ways that I don't remember them behaving before. And, and you know, I think that idea of, of how an experience like that changes you is something that perhaps we haven't been encouraged enough to, to investigate in a way. How do you think it, it impacted on you? Um, okay, I mean, in many ways. I mean, I've had several moods over the past two years, including about this time last year, absolute fury um we were waiting love for a bit of rage though oh my god i mean because i think a lot of you know for maybe the first while i kind of numbed out you know it was the only way to kind of cope with the the fact that we were walking side by side with death you know the death was you know in the beginning we thought it was coming into our homes via our grocery shopping you know that is a very very terrifying thing yeah but this time last year we were waiting for the vaccines in Ireland and my mother is not young. She'll kill me for saying that, but never mind. And I, all her friends were getting their vaccines and the whole thing was so, it felt so chaotic. And, you know, the absolute kind of incoherent, um, powerless rage was very, very difficult 
to to um to cope with and i mean obviously i was focusing focusing it all on you know my mother and her vulnerability but it was about the fact that like at the time a year of our lives ha had been stolen and i mean we didn't know what we were being what we were facing into um so me personally i discovered that i'm not the introvert i thought i was because i mean i do find other people hard um you know i can do kind of social stuff for about an hour and a half and then I just hit a wall and I I really want to leave and, and be on my own. But I was craving people. And like, you know, my happiest thing in the before times was getting a text on Saturday afternoon saying tonight's off. And I was <laughs> the opposite. You know, I wanted I wanted liveliness. I wanted rowdiness. I wanted loads of people around me, like everybody talking at once. And, uh, you know, it was kind of nice to discover that about me. Um, I discovered that, um, yeah, I, I mean, that thing that I've kind of always known, but I resist, that we have no control over our lives. You know, we get what we get. Like our best efforts will only protect us up to a point. And then things happen. And the things I've always worried about are not the things that have hobbled me. And I think there's a sort of a comfort in that. Like most of the things I've agonized about haven't really come to pass. It's the things I haven't even anticipated that have kind of caused the most impact. So there's kind of a message I, I've been told, you know, that there's no point. There's no point worrying. There's no point trying to kind of, you know, pain proof my life. Mm -hmm. none, of us, none of us should really bother because what's going to happen is going to happen. I know that uh, Rachel, like you, also uh, hasn't had children. And I wondered if that was one of the things that you'd anticipated. And if I know you made a decision not to have IVF, whether that was trying to pain proof, uh, because I, I actually have a, a friend who made that decision. And I think that's the reason she did it. Yeah, I mean, I always thought, you know, we sp God, I spent my 20s like trying my best not to get pregnant. And then like, and then suddenly, like, you know, I was open for business and it didn't happen um, in my 30s. And I tried, you know, myself and my husband, we tried various things. And when it came to IVF, and I, I really have to say that this was just my decision. And I know people who have had children via IVF and I absolutely support anyone who does it. But for me, yeah. I was afraid of the, the, the failures, the potential failures. Um, and I, I mean, I was afraid of other things as well. Um, I was afraid of the strain that it might put on my marriage. And, and so was my husband. So, yeah, in a way, stepping away from it made me feel as if I was the one making the decision. Um, it sort of it, put you back in charge. It did, even though, of course who knew what would have happened um and like as my life has gone on you know a kind of around my early 40s I mean I had to to grieve it and then around the time I started the menopause even though like you know I mean I was about 52 at, at one stage and I remember thinking oh my god it's really not going to happen now which I mean it was so unlikely but yeah it's something that I thought I'd put, you know, put to rest and then, but nothing, I have learned this. There is no such thing as closure on any emotion. If I have ever felt it, it stays on file in me and it can be, 
resuscitated under certain conditions. But well, well, that's so interesting you say that because in the, in in the book, uh, Rachel again. Uh, there's very much an emotion that Rachel uh, has resuscitated. And it, it, it was just funny because I was reading the book this weekend and I think I must be the only person in the world who hasn't watched Sex Life. Um, and that whole... I haven't either. Oh, have you oh not? Well, God. I think we've both got to now, I, I think. Watched Be- the first, I watched the first episode and I thought it was just unbearable. I couldn't. Was it? I couldn't. Oh, oh okay. I, I well, mean... maybe I won't bother then. But but oh. but what but it does explore a similar not the same scenario at all but a similar scenario insofar as Rachel uh, uh, be, because of a, a funeral is forced to sort of reconnect uh, with her ex husband and even though she's got a fabulous boyfriend and you know things are all going very well on, on on that level there is this unfinished business, isn't there? Um, and I yeah. thought it was quite interesting to explore that in a mature woman because it's very rare that you ever read about a mature woman in a novel being driven by any kind of sexual impulse whatsoever. You know, that's too horrific a thought for the world at large. I know, and it drives me mad. You know, that like, you know, that the minute we taught you, you we, we, we become 40, we're suddenly ready to be like embalmed, you know, and that like, <laughs> and, and you know, and that we are dead from the neck down. And I have to say, like, it is very, very difficult, you know, if you are exhausted, you know, and if people are, you know, taking things from your time and your energy and your focus all the time, it is difficult then to feel sexual. But time passes and things change. And I really think it is awful that women being sexual past, I don't know, their early 30s is regarded as something kind of you know, depraved, weird, depraved and revolting that men don't want to think about it. And that is not my experience. Um, It is perfectly possible. It does happen for women to have to want sex and to fancy people and to be very, very in tune with their body well past their 40s. And, you know, I think it's really important for me to say that I don't want any woman to feel under pressure to feel this way. Um, But we surprise ourselves um, and we should be allowed to embrace that part of ourselves without feeling, you know, in some way, yeah, as you say, depraved. And, you know, the fact we're all taking our cod liver oils, like we're living for a lot longer. We are healthier for a lot longer, you know. Um, Menopausal women are electing to not stop you know, stop living and start knitting. Not that there's something wrong with knitting, um, you know, but that we remain vital if we want to. You know, we have more choices than we used to have. And um, yeah, Rachel is 47 and she is not dead from the neck down, to put it mildly. Um, you know, <laughs> and mildly. Yet, there wouldn't yeah. have been a story had she been. No, there wouldn't. <laughs> 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Marion, one of the things we were talking about was, was the things you had in common with Rachel. And as you said, one of them was um, addiction and having spent time in rehab. And a lot of this novel is set in rehab because she's now a, a counsellor. Um, you described your period of time um, as one of the happiest experiences of your life uh, when you were in rehab. Now, can you explain why that would be the case? Well, um, first of all, I have to say that that... that, that um, headline was lifted out of context. Um, I said, in a way, it was weirdly one of the happiest times of my life because, I mean, but I also said it was immensely challenging, which it was, and it was incredibly frightening to find myself in rehab. I mean, absolutely nobody plans that for themselves. However, the other people there who were also as bewildered and, and you know, as frightened as I was, there was a really supportive community. Um, we were very, very nice to each other. There was an awful lot of shared humanity. And there was actually, this is going to sound weird, but it was because of the tension. Some of the belly laughs, the best ones I've had in my life, were in rehab. You know, it is absolutely horrendous when people you love are coming in to to strip you bare of any misconceptions you've had about yourself, you know, and for them to detail all the ways I had hurt them and, and hurt the other people. And kind of as a reaction to that, we we had to make ourselves laugh. And, you know, we were very, very supportive of each other. And something about the way people can be very kind to each other touched me deeply. Um, so there was that. But I, I mean, really, I wouldn't recommend rehab for anyone. It is It is not... It, it shouldn't be on anyone's bucket list. It really shouldn't. Well, interestingly, you lift the, the curtain on it in a way more than I've seen it lifted before. I mean, maybe in real life accounts that I haven't haven't read. But, you know, you, you point out the fact that it's not a spa break, you know, that people do sometimes get there thinking that they're going to be doing, you know, yoga at dawn and, and you know, but it's it, it's not a retreat or, or a spa break. But also the characters that you deal with here, I mean, they're pretty... They're pretty forceful with each other as well, aren't they? When 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 they sort of zoom in on on what they see as hypocrisies or you know people not being honest with themselves. I mean, is there in a way, is it a? 
I, I, and I'm, I'm, you know, not going down the road as, as you say, of saying that it's a, it's a good thing, or anyone would want to be there. But is there something about taking away the artifice of sort of day-to-day -day interaction, and and it becoming incredibly real that's liberating? I mean, there are many different kinds of rehab, um, and some of them do have, you know, spas and and juice fasts and yoga. Um, but the one I went to is. Um, without getting too technical, it's called the Minnesota model. And it is based on, I mean, partly on the idea that addicts can see the facades of other addicts more than anybody. You know, like I was telling lies and the other people knew the lies I was telling because they told them too. Um, and so as well as having very mindful counsellors, you know, and a very kind of supportive atmosphere in in the the treatment center um yeah the addicts are encouraged as a you know as as a something helpful to call out the the dishonesty the delusion the denial that they see in the other people in their group um and for me it was immensely effective um obviously it doesn't work for everybody but it you know it was very helpful at kind of at shattering my denial and as I say there are many kinds of rehab but this one worked for me and because of that I have a huge I don't know tender fondness for well for the place I went to and also for that model um, because it gave me a new life. Were you worried um, at all about uh, kind of exposing it uh, in the novel? Not remotely. No, um, I've read so many, so many memoirs, so many addiction memoirs, um, and so many of them talk about group. Um, it, it seems to be a fairly, you know, a global, a global phenomenon. The um, th that method of, of dealing with it. No, I was. I felt very, very comfortable because. I think in the 25 years or the 20, it's 28 years since I was in rehab, I think the world has become a lot more educated. Like people know what goes on. Um, they know how it works in theory anyway. Um, so I, you know, I wasn't revealing any secrets, but I will just say nobody in my novel is based on any real people. And it was the same with Rachel's holiday and, and the same with again, Rachel, no real people are in it. And do you think that addiction has become more prevalent or people's understanding of the fact that they're addicted has become more common? Which, which do you think it is? I think people's, people acknowledging it has become much more common. Um, you know, as I, I said at the start, it's far more widespread than people are prepared to acknowledge. I barely know a family that hasn't been touched by it in some way. And also, I think our definition of addiction has um, expanded. You know, it used to be alcoholism and illegal drugs. And now, you know, we're far more knowledgeable about people's, you know, disordered relationship with food or with legal drugs, you know, with pres prescription medication, you know, or with spending money, gambling, sex, shopping. Yeah, we have become more educated. I mean, I think we are still very resistant as a society to um, to own it in ourselves or in people we love. Um, because addiction is messy and getting well involves work and 
you know, it's painful. People don't want to do it and I don't blame them. Rachel um, has clearly, I think, still got one small addiction. You you mentioned the sort of spending money or shopping uh, addiction. But other than that, returning to her after 25 years, what did you want to explore? What what did it give you the opportunity for? Lots of things. Um, How a person lives in long-term recovery, how it is to be a woman in your late 40s and still feel, you know, to still love beautiful things like beautiful clothes um, and to still care about your face and your hair, um, to still realise, you know, that your sisters are probably, you know, your greatest source of love, but also, you know, your greatest source of irritation. It's about how in one way one becomes wiser you know, the longer we live. But in other ways, it is still possible to feel as distressed as we felt when we were 12 or 17 or 29. Um, So it was kind of acknowledging the duality of that, what we gain and what remains the same. Do you think it's um, harder to be funny about life's tragedies as you get older or easier? I mean, you know, Rachel has had many ups and downs here and I just wondered whether it becomes more poignant um, as you mature I mean I think it depends on the person and it depends on the event and it depends on what point you're feeling it at Um, honestly I mean kind of both Mariella in a way it becomes easier to laugh at things because it is such a great way at processing the pain but I also think I, I mean, personally, I have found it a lot easier to be sincere as I've got older. There is that kind of bravado in younger people. I mean, I did it to be sort of cynical about everything, to kind of turn everything into a joke. Um, and I think maybe it's a way of, well, in me, it was trying to be funny and also trying to hide vulnerability. And as I've got older, I am far more comfortable with saying that was terrible for you I'm really sorry that happened or that was terrible for me I'm really sorry that happened it yeah I think it just it gets easier to be more authentic as I'm older but it depends on the situation sometimes humor is the best way to be authentic and sometimes it absolutely isn't I noticed the other day, um, in fact, it was in the papers over the weekend, that they're thinking of launching a a history prize specifically for women historians uh, because there's a sense that women historians don't get treated as seriously as male historians. And, of course, this is an ongoing discussion that's been going on in in, in kind of literature for, for, well, decades and centuries. And, you know, you've tackled some of the really, really important stuff in people's lives, in your novels, and yet still would be regarded uh, with that horrendously dismissive phrase of of chiclet, which which never ceases to amaze me, uh, because frankly, since 80% of books are read by women, thank God that most books are considered chiclet, as it were. Um, How do you feel about that now, as 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 a mature writer who's not afraid to tackle the really tough stuff? I don't know, Mariella, I'm so wearied um, by by answering this question. Um, first of all, don't I have to bother then saying, if you don't yeah, want to. <laughs> yeah, I don't want, I don't want to sound like an ingrate. Like I have had a wonderful career um, and I feel very, very proud of the books I write. And it's 
this is the weird thing. It's almost like the gatekeepers have let me in, you know, and they'll say, okay, you're all right. You know, we'll give you decent reviews and we will take you seriously. But the rest of them, you know, the, the rest can't come in. And I feel, yes, I am one of the lucky ones, but I also feel like I have a platform. Um, and on behalf of all women, I really resent that anything a woman does is automatically like there isn't even kind of, you know, intellectual thought behind it. It's just automatically what a woman does has less value than what, a, um, um, you know, the equivalent that a man does. And, you know, the patriarchy is wearying. Like it is very, very, very tiring. Um, the only thing that gives me kind of great hope is younger women, you know, women under 30. They're not having it. They're, they're not, just, are they? They're really not. Not about anything. You know, I, I mean, the thing that I utterly adore um, about younger woman, women is how they feel about their own bodies. You know, they are refusing to, to feel ashamed if they don't fit into that, you know, that perfect woman template. Um, and they have energy and they have, you know, they're a lot, they're fearless compared to the likes of me. Um, so I'm kind of here waving my ragged little flag, but I feel that there are armies of fabulous, articulate women who know their worth. They're coming after me. So I kind of feel change happens very slowly. And like I say this a lot, power and money are lovely. Those who have them want to hold on to them. Why would they give it away? You know, why would anyone give away something that nice you know so it's always going to be a slow painful change trying to give men to get men to give women a bit of what they have thanks for listening to mariella meets with me mariella frostrup there'll be more from the podcast next week so make sure to download the free times radio app to never miss an episode. And don't forget, you can catch the live edition of my program every Monday to Thursday, 1 till 4, on Times Radio. Catch you next time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.